Episode 29 with Brian McPherson on the Nine Point Start the Dream Podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started with a Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This episode, we have Brian McPherson, professional golfer. We go through his journey, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the kind of what he's been through in his process for him to kind of achieve his ultimate goal of making the tour. So, he kind of had this mindset, kind of even kill, and kind of thinking like, I'm one single way of achieving my goal. So, hope you enjoy the episode and let's get to it. So, Brian, the question for everyone comes on is when you were younger as an athlete, what was one of your bigger goals or dreams you want to accomplish? Well, the biggest goal that I want to accomplish is obviously to play golf on the highest stage, you know, and that, that includes, it's, it's growing into more of a world game now. So obviously you've got the four majors, one in, in the UK and three in the US. Um, and then you've got these new WGC events, which are very, very big events and they're all over the world. You have one in, in China and then you have uh, one in Mexico and two in the States. And, you know, that's the top 60 in the, in the world golf rankings gets exempt to all of those. And, you know, that's kind of, that's the goal uh, for a lot of us, you know, um, that's what we would call breaking through, making it to the big time. And then once you get there, you can start focusing on goals like, you know, world top 20, world top 10, world number one, which is just increases your sponsorship. So, so um, but for me, you know, I mean, I love golf, have loved it for a long time and, and I love the competition uh, that it allows even more. So um, playing on the on the biggest stage in the world is just the ultimate. What age did you kind of start playing golf? Um, I got started uh, a little bit late, you know, by American standards. Uh, I was about 12 years old. Um, I used to play a little bit when I was sort of 10 and 11, but not so much. And uh, I really sort of got into it when I was about 12. My parents joined me up at the local golf club and I would go down on Saturdays and play and then I wanted to go down on Saturdays and Sundays. And then all of a sudden it was, I wanted to go practice one or two nights after school. And, and then just from there, I was playing, you know, pretty much every day and uh, just loving the challenge, um, you know, golf, because we play all over the world and all different kinds of courses. You never really hit the same shot twice. So there's, it's like an ever evolving challenge. Um, you know, there are, other variables in other sports like basketball and tennis and things like that, but you're still playing on the same court or the same, you know, uh, the same setting. A lot of the time, the guys you play against and girls you play against will change, but for golf, you only play against yourself. So to have that ever, ever evolving challenge is just something that I got addicted to. And I think most people get addicted to when they play golf. I haven't played yet. Like I, I look at it and I'm like, my, co- my coordination isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. I mean, you live in a great place in Arizona. It's a great place to play golf. Um, lots of good golf courses and good weather. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it might do you a favor because once you start, it's very hard to stop. <laughs> true, true. So people listening there are like, okay, where is this guy from? Because he has an accent. So, so where are you born and raised? So I'm born and raised in Melbourne, Australia, um, have been in the States now for almost nine years, actually. Wow. I moved over in 2010 uh, in January and went to University of Georgia uh, for two semesters and, sorry, 
um, four semesters, two years, and uh, then turned professional and has been sort of in and out of the States playing, you know, web.com and playing in China and playing Asian stuff and Australasian stuff and European stuff and just sort of trying to find my place at the moment. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm very Americanized. I've, um, you know, grown to love a lot of stuff about America and, uh, but I, uh, I definitely love seeing the world as well. Awesome. What we love about golf is, you know, like, like you were saying, you're never really in the same place, you know, like you got to travel all over the world, all over the country, just to play. So it's kind of a cool sport to really be involved in. So, so for you, how do you go from, you know, Melbourne, Australia to, to Athens, Georgia? How do you make, how do you get there? Well, I mean, it was kind of a, you know, there's a lot of serendipity involved in what happens in a golf career. You know, nothing very, nothing really happens according to plan. You know, it's not as cookie cutter as, well, I go to high school and then I either get drafted out of high school or I go to college and then I get drafted out of college. It's, it's not that, uh, it's not that streamlined, um, you know, especially being an international kid, you know, it, it took for a very unique circumstance to occur at university of Georgia and for me to have, the, the right mutual friend for that circumstance in order for me to get the opportunity. And, uh, that's, and that was kind of how it played out. Um, they had a full ride come, uh, come available. And, you know, there were no good American kids around because it was late. It was sort of around April, May. And, you know, as everyone would know, that's the time, especially in golf, that a lot of college sports got, kids were already committed. So how are you going to, uh, spend a full ride on someone that might not be worth it so they went uh overseas and had a contact and were looking in australia because australia's got a very good history of, of good golfers and um so and my name was one of the ones put forward and i went for a visit and uh just fell in love with athens and it was so different from what i was used to and um you know i clashed with that to begin with but then you know i, I really came around and started to really enjoy being there and seeing it for what it was which is just just a very very special place i don't know i know for me like going from texas to oklahoma was a transition so i can only imagine going from overseas to another and like like a new country so for you how was that transition to kind of not only not only for like your golf game but just personally how do you like adjust that whole transition yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's difficult going from country to country, um, you know, traveling. But living is a whole different thing. You've got to essentially learn a new system and figure out a new place uh, and sort of solve this big puzzle that is, you know, where's my grocery store? Where am I living? Where am I doing this? Where am I working out? Where am I practical? You know, all this kind of stuff that you've got to solve. And the more often that you do that, the better you get at it. And I think the better that you can trust your own ability to kind of find your way um, wherever it is you are in the world, the less you feel like an outsider because you can kind of fit in and work around whatever happens to you. And I think that's the real benefit for anyone of any age who is going to go traveling, even if you don't play sport, like traveling, it, that's, that's what it does. It teaches you to deal with circumstances that you wouldn't otherwise deal with. And, um, but to answer your question, like, the way that I've sort of learned to deal with it all is just practice. <laughs> you know, like the amount of times that I've made mistakes when you're traveling and made mistakes in preparation and all this kind of stuff. 
and you learn from it. And you go, well, that doesn't work for me, so I'm going to try this other, um, you know, this other approach, and then maybe that doesn't work. And 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 you sort of find what works for you. And and uh, I'm actually always reminded of um, of actually of Dwayne. One of the things Dwayne Johnson always talks about is his anchor when he travels. This is Jim. I mean, now I obviously don't have someone to haul around a ten thousand square foot gym for me um but at the same time you know you're able to sort of find stuff that wherever you are in the world you can do and that gives you a sense of like home and uh you know for me that's like my you know my gym work and and my practice and stuff like that gives me that and uh and so yeah i mean but that's all part of the experience you know living that's what living is that's what it's that's, that's what it's all about you know that's how you that's how you keep going and that's how you uh are able to kind of stay in the game is, you know, by having, having things that help you um, stay sane. So, so when you kind of, so you're at, you're at UGA, you're playing golf there and you always knew you wanted to play on the world stage. You want to play on that next level. When it came time to kind of make that, that leap, that transition to really come out of pro, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how did you go about that, that part? how did you go about saying, all right, I don't want to go work a nine to five. I don't want to do X, Y, Z. I want to go pursue the dream to the fullest. Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about golf is that um, for the most part, like 99.99% of us who try and have crack at this game professionally, um, it's all on you. And that could not be uh, better summed up than the process of turning pro. Um, Because the process of turning pro in golf, when it comes to tournaments, like tournament touring professionals, is literally checking a different box. You know, you don't have to pay a membership or any of this kind of stuff. You don't have to do any kind of declaration. It's just when people ask you if you're a professional, you say yes or you say no. And uh, the difference is, is that then you can receive money, prize money and stuff like that when you're a pro. But it goes from being a dream to being a very harsh reality very quickly, you know, because... It goes from, you know, you're at college, you might be on a scholarship, whether it be, you know, a quarter scholarship or a half scholarship or a full scholarship. Everything's taken care of for you. Everything's done for you. You know, you've got your, everything set up and everything's given to you. And then when you turn pro, this is, again, there are a few prodigies that, that continue that lifestyle. But for the most part, all of a sudden, you're just standing there and you've got to figure it all out for yourself. You know, you've got to do all your own travel. You've got to take care of your own, um, you know, relationships with companies or with uh, tours or do all the logistics. And then you've got to also manage your body and you've got to manage your diet. You've got to do everything yourself. And then by all, by the way, you have to compete and play golf at the highest level as well. And uh, so that's, that's one of the things is that nothing really prepares you for that leap. Um, and, you know, I'm still figuring out, I'm, I'm, far from playing golf on the world stage, but I've, I've learned so much and I'm, and I'm continuing to get better that it's one of those things that you've just got to keep going and it teaches guys resilience and it teaches guys belief. And, um, you know, I really don't think that there's any coincidence that there are a lot of very religious golfers because that faith that gets taught to you being brought up, you know, religious in that sense, is something that really, really helps guys um, to kind of stay in. And uh, so it was, for me, it was, 
a bit of a different transition to a lot of guys because, you know, I had I had a really great result where I won one of the biggest amateur events um, there is in my junior year of college. So I had I had some opportunity laid in front of me that a lot of guys don't get, and so the decision to go was easy. And but you know I didn't have an easy time with it. I definitely stumbled and probably fell flat on my face right away. Um, but you know it's a very easy transition. Uh, when it's like that, but for the most part, it's a very difficult thing, and reality catches up to you eventually, regardless. Even if it's easy early, reality will set in, and you will have you know adversity that you've got to deal with at some point, and and that's the measure of a real athlete, right? In any sport, how they deal with adversity. That's so true, right there. So, so back to like the whole like it just checking a box, right? You know, like you're saying, there's no draft, there's no, you know, agents coming and telling you you're ready. So for so for anyone listening, that's like a like that wants to be a professional golfer, that wants you know, I want to be like on that elite level, and they, and they feel, how do you know when you're ready, or how do you know when to check that box? That's such a good question, um, because it's so subjective that it's it's really it's really difficult to tell. But I think. What, what happens when you go through enough experience as an amateur golfer or a college golfer or an elite amateur or whatever it is, you start to dip your toe in with the professionals and you might play a few professional events, maybe in your hometown or something like that. And you spend enough time around the pros that and maybe you play golf with them, maybe they practice where you do or something like that, that you start to see and you start to change in your mind uh, okay, I feel like I can play with these guys. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, a, it's a bit of a leap of faith. Uh, you sort of, you jump off the cliff hoping there's a net, hoping there's a net there to catch you. Um, and, but you've got to go, you've got to go for it when you believe that, that you're ready. Because, you know, there's only one person that can tell you whether or not you're ready to turn professional in golf and that's yourself. And that's, and uh, and that's you know kind of coming back to one of the things that golf teaches everyone, like the self reliance is just is huge. And uh, so for anyone that is trying to be a professional golfer, if you want to figure out whether or not you're ready to turn pro or whether or not you're ready to make it into pros, spend time around pros and see how you measure up. And because you know as long as you're honest with yourself, you can get a pretty good uh, a pretty good idea for how that's going to work. I like that. So, so for you, kind of having the international experience already, kind of having the college experience, you kind of felt you kind of you were kind of already immersed in being a pro before you were a pro, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when it comes to like funding your golf career, you know, because like you think other sports, football, basketball, there's like signing bonuses, there's like guaranteed contracts. With golf, there's no guarantee. Is there, or is there some way to get money to to back you? There is a uh, there is a guarantee at the very top level, um, to an extent. Uh, you know, a lot of the contracts that are written by the big companies like Nike, um, you know, will include a guaranteed money, but a lot of it is dependent on your world ranking. So, if you sign a deal for X amount. At, and you're 10th in the world, if you drop to 20th in the world, that amount drops as well. 
So, you know, but if it goes up, if your world ranking comes up to five or six, then your amount will go up as well. So there is a, there is a level of guaranteed money in golf, um, but for the 95% uh, of guys that play, you know, we're all out here playing week to week. Um, and if you miss the cut, if you, if you don't play well, you don't get paid. And uh, it's one of the harshest and most humbling sports that way because, you know, unlike in a lot of other sports, there is no guaranteed money. You know, there's no first-round losers like there are at Tennis Grand Slam. There's none of this stuff. It's like when you get to the top, top, top level, there are a few events that have guaranteed money because they're smaller fields, only 80 guys or so. But for the most part, we're out here playing. And uh, if you don't play well, you don't get paid. And um, when you're shelving out anywhere between 1000 to $4,000 a week, before you even tee it up, then that just is another level of pressure that um, we sort of learn to deal with. Dude, golf is like a legit mental game. Like, I don't understand why people say it's really a lot mental because you're really thinking about you're selling out thousands of dollars for even tee up. And you didn't know a guarantee if you even make make it back. That's that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, golf is, you know, if uh, golf is easily 80, 85, 90% mental. And uh, how you play depends on how you think and how you feel. Um, you know, and, and so that that becomes a, and how much you believe, you know. It really does come down to that. You know, how, if you believe that, you can do it or you believe that you deserve it, you know, golf is self-sorting enough that normally you'll get it. But kind of following on that, I recently wrote an article for us um, about, you know, about the breakthrough, right? The breakthrough year, this is the year. So can you kind of explain kind of what that was about? Yeah. So, I mean, that was what I was trying to get at in that article that, um, you know, I wrote there was, is that, like you said, golf is so mental that if you, if you weaken for a moment, the game is so relentless in the pressure that it puts on you that it will break you. So if you, if you let up at all, if you let, if you let it win ever, <laughs> then the amount of pressure that the game is constantly putting on you, it will, it will break you in half. So, even though every year, and, that, and that's why I believe every year you've got to stand there and go, this is my year. And you, and you work through and you, and you work out your goals and you plan for those goals and you work through your stuff and you do the best that you can. And then the results are kind of, they're not as in control as they are in other sports when you're directly playing against an opponent um, or an opposing team or something like that. You know, golf is simultaneously playing against 70, 80, 150 guys. So anything can happen. And no one has ever been so good at golf that they've made luck obsolete. So luck will always play a part of it. Tiger Woods came close. But even he was not good enough that even if someone else got lucky, they couldn't beat him. So it was... uh, When it comes to... um, you know, believing in yourself and and kind of, like I said in that article, like 
you can't lie to yourself. You know, you can lie to coaches, you can lie to trainers, you can lie to fans, you can lie to family about what you're doing and whether or not you're putting in the effort and whether or not you actually believe. But if you can't stare at yourself in the mirror, which is a confronting experience if anyone's ever tried to do it, I would suggest you do it. But it's uh, you can't stare at yourself and say, I'm committed and I believe in what I'm doing, then you're going to have a tough time and the game will eventually chew you up and spit you out. And, uh, and that's like golf is very, very harsh in that way. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a cruel mistress, as they say, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, um, but it's great because it's character building, you know, that amount of pressure also builds diamonds. So it, it goes both ways. If you believe, you know, there's a lot of great things to be had in golf and, and, and uh, a lot of great things to achieve um, that don't exist in other places. So, you know, it's it's comes down to being up to you. I love that. That's a lot, a lot of gold in that. So so with that, then, like, you know, not every day is perfect, right? You you have those days where you, you bogey three holes, you know, whatever it may be, right? So So how do you go about keeping that mindset that, this is my year, you know, even on those mm. two days. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, and as difficult as it is to do just in life, it's, you know, much more difficult to do it during a round or even immediately following a round. Um, you know, I think it kind of comes back to, for me anyway, after I'm done with a round that was maybe frustrating or done with a stretch of holes that was frustrating, there comes this point of of sort of a realization that nothing lasts forever. And so if you make three bogeys in a row, you know, you're not going to bogey every hole for the rest of your life. So it's going to end at some point. So it's kind of that having that optimistic spin on things to be able to go, well, okay, I'm not playing that great, not feeling that good, but um, I always take it as a challenge that the days when you're not feeling very good with your game or you're not feeling good with, with something, that's an opportunity to practice turning it around because at some point in your life, you will need to turn it around when a tournament's on the line or when tour status or something important or even just money is on the line, you know, and you'll be in a position where you don't feel that great and you're going to need that skill of turning things around. And, uh, you know, you play the long game with golf. Like you, you talk about years and, seasons and decades and it's it's you know even a tournament seems like it lasts forever when you're in the tournament 72 holes i mean it's four and a half hours multiplied by four you know six 18 hours of of like focus and concentration and competition like that's a lot of time and uh i think the biggest key is patience you know and you've got to be able to step back from the short term and say okay do I feel like I'm on track or do I feel like I'm doing the right things? And when it comes to playing a tournament, I like to think that uh, if I keep a consistent attitude over 72 holes, then I'm going to have as good and as most, as most consistent results as I could possibly have because my attitude is the most important thing that is directly in my control. And if I can keep that consistent, then I'm going to be as consistent as I could possibly be. 
now I'm just listening to your talk and I'm just thinking about, about the sport and just thinking like, I'm thinking if you, if you don't really don't have that mental toughness that kind of that mental kind of even playing field, golf could really eat you alive. Right. Like, Absolutely. And it does. It eats a lot of guys alive. You know, I mean, I have a bit of a, a harsh outlook on, um, what it takes to be a professional golfer, like at the top level. And, you know, I, I meet guys, you know, have been meeting guys and girls for a long time. And, you know, the thing that I look for when you can say that if someone says, oh, is this person going to be successful? Like, I mean, what a ridiculous question. No one can ever tell that. But what I, the only quality that I notice that is consistent through all successful golfers is that they are willing to put it on the line. You know, they are willing to throw everything behind themselves to succeed and to do well. And they don't play it safe. Um, you know, they're still smart. You know, they'll play it safe from time to time, but when it matters and when they really believe that they could do something special, they have zero hesitation in putting it all on the line. And so when I see guys that can't even play a money match for $20 or don't want to lose $50 in a money match, I just think to myself, well, you better find something else to do because, you know, you'll, ha- you'll be a lot happier not being, not being chewed up and spit out by the game of golf. It's interesting. I, I never, I never played this sport. So like hearing you and kind of hearing the journey with this. So, so it makes sense why you say this is my year every, every time you, you, you get, you get out there. Right. Cause if you yeah. don't have if you, if you don't have that in you, what are you playing for, right? Well, that's right, and I believe so wholeheartedly that you need that quality of just backing yourself. That you know, the January that comes around for me when I can't do it, if I can't find a way or figure out why I'm not thinking that way, whether something's blocking me or you know I'm worried about some stuff that doesn't really matter. But if I lose that fire, then it's over, you know, <laughs> and it's done because, you know, you'll never be, you'll never be successful because there are, you know, 200 ish players on the PGA tour. There are, you know, 200 ish players on the European tour and there's 60 in the world top 60. And every single one of those players thinks that way. So, and if they don't think that way, they're not going to stay there. So if you think that you can compete with guys without that mindset, you're absolutely kidding yourself. And, you know, like I said, I have a bit of a harsh outlook on it, but I don't think it's wrong. Even, even though it may be harsh, and a lot of people don't want to hear it. You know, so for some guys who are young and juniors and amateurs and stuff like that, it's not something that you either have or you don't. You know, it's not something that when you're 17, if you don't like putting it on the line with your mates, then it's not like you can never be a good player. But you need to actively try and develop that. You need to practice putting it on the line. You know, there's a very famous quote from Lee Trevino, very famous golfer and just a straight shooter. And he said, pressure is not playing in the masses. He said, pressure is playing for $10 when you've only got $5 in your pocket. And oh, wow. that couldn't sum it up. That, that couldn't sum it up better because that's the mindset, 
And, and the part of that quote that people don't go into is that if he's talking about that as a situation, Lee Trevino had absolutely no hesitation in playing for $10 when he only had $5 in his pocket. And I think that's the other side of that. You know, people love to joke about that and think that it's a, you know, a funny anecdote, but that says a lot about Lee Trevino's character. Someone said, let's play for $10. He's only got $5 on him. He had no hesitation in saying yes. And I think that, that speaks wonders um, for the type of mindset that you need to be successful at this game. Now just listen to you, it just, if you're a competitor and you like, like, you know, like you watch Tiger, Tiger Woods go out there and like keep going after whatever, you know, if you're a competitor, the, the golf is game is like, you can thrive on that. If you know that it's on me, it's on my club, it's on my swing. Yeah. There's no, Absolutely. there's no guard, there's no center, there's no receiver. It's on me to shoot the shot. Right. And, yeah. Absolutely. It's all on you. And, uh, there is there are very very few experiences aside from maybe serving in tennis is similar. You know, people always say tennis players always say that serving is the hardest part of tennis. Well, every single shot in golf is a serve in tennis, and uh, because when you play the big events, I remember. I mean, I played the Masters as an amateur, and standing on the first tee was obviously one of the greatest experiences of my life. But I had a flash of awareness when I was getting ready to hit my shot that there's probably about 10 million people watching me, waiting for me to do something. <laughs> and that is like a level of attention that, you know, you've got to be able to uh, handle, you know, or you've at least got to love it. You don't have to be able to handle it right away because that comes with practice, but you definitely have to love it and thrive in it. And, uh, and, that's, and that's one of the beauties of sport, you know, is that, um, it's all on you. There's no reaction. You're not reacting to another player. You're not basing all of your actions off of what another player or an opponent does. It is just you directing yourself. And, uh, and that's why the, that's the individual and self-reliant aspect of the game that is just so addictive. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a uh, coincidence that you see some of the most highly competitive guys in the world, sports, um, business, politicians it's no surprise what their the the hobby that they all have in common is golf you know because they there's that never-ending challenge that they just it, it draws them in and they and they can never be satisfied and so they just keep going i i get it now like i used to always be one of those guys like i'm never gonna golf but but I see the picture now. I see why people, like like you're saying, like why people that are really successful play golf because it's like you're just saying that thrill that you know, like it, it's never it's never gonna be the same shot like you said earlier. So very cool. Yeah. So so for you as you continue the journey, you know, as a professional golfer, right? What is your version of greatness? Like what is when it's all said and done and you're retired? What's gonna be something that you want to achieve? I mean, I think something that I would love to achieve is to win more than one major because winning, winning majors is obviously what golf is all about. You know, when you can win the best events with the best players on the best, like the best tests of golf, the courses, you know, that's obviously the ultimate. And 
like anyone can uh, have a fluke golf shot, there are, there are some guys that have fluke events. And so there have been a few major winners over the years. It's obviously no discredit to them at all because they've still won a major. But a lot of guys who won one major because they had a great had a great week and uh, at the right time and they felt good and, you know, kudos to them. But if you win more than one major, no one can ever say that it was a fluke. And I think that would, if you win multiple majors, you know, you, you fairly guarantee your spot in the Hall of Fame and and you can be a household name in the game. And uh, that's been my goal for those dreams since I was 18 or 19. And, uh, you know, I still believe that I can achieve something like that. Um, you know, but uh, that's, the, uh, that's the ultimate, you know, Hall of Fame. I love it. I love it. I bet that with, with your mindset, dude, like you're definitely on your way. Like how you're, you sound, you sound so even kill, take, taking it shot by shot, stroke by stroke type deal. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm it's a very long time up the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but when you get there though, man, that view's going to be awesome. Oh, the view's awesome. Absolutely. So, so you have this, this website, you kind of do a little blogging, The Unseen Athlete. So how, how long have you been doing that for? I just, it's something I started this year um, just because I wanted to shed a little bit of light on, uh, and it kind of ties in with the title because, you know, there are so many golf tournaments, right? There are at least seven golf tournaments every week that matter to someone. And of the 150 people, for the most part, that, it up at each of those events there's only one winner and there's this constant stream of winners being reported on by the media which is absolutely normal that's what they should do um but there's a whole host of people playing who had good weeks who were building towards something who finished second or lost the tournament or were leading through two rounds that didn't play that great and it, it's kind of the story but aside from the guys just winning the tournament, because you'll see guys who won't play that well for a few months' time, but there's something building in there. They might finish, they might miss a couple of cups and they'll go 40th, 30th, 20th, and then have a couple of top 10s, and then have a couple of off weeks, and then they'll go bang and they'll win. And then the media comes to them and shoves a microphone in their face and says, Oh, how does it feel to win? And they go, well, obviously it feels great, but what about the story about them building towards that win? And that's kind of what I wanted to shed a bit of light on, you know, my own journey to start with, but also some of my own perceptions about the guys around me and, you know, my friends who are, who are going through the same stuff. And it's supposed to be a story or kind of a, a looking glass into you know, the athletes who are unseen. And that's where the title came from, um, where it kind of gives a shed a bit more light on reporting on the process of becoming successful rather than just the Sunday afternoon when you did become successful. So so for you, I've kind of, kind of worked to wrap up a little bit. Um, so what's next for you? Any more tournaments the rest of the year? Like what, what's your big plan to kind of end 2018 strong? Yeah, so I'm playing this week uh, in China. Um, we have a Challenge Tour event. For those that don't know, Challenge Tour is the secondary tour to the European Tour. Um, so it's kind of like the pathway tour uh, to the European Tour. So we have an event here this week. 
um, and another event in China, different part of China next week. And, um, and they're two big events. So there's some great opportunity here and I'm doing everything I can to take, uh, take advantage of that and try and get some plane rights in, in Europe, um, next year. But, uh, and then I'm, after that's done, I'm going to Spain, um, for another crack at the European tour because we have a qualifying school where, you know, every year the tours run, uh, you know, a three or four stage qualifying school. And as you go through, um, make it through the stages, uh, you know, it's kind of like a hundred guys for 20 spots type thing. So finishing the top 20, you move on to the next stage. And then as you get up to the final stage, um, they play six rounds and the top 30 guys of the 150 get uh, status on the European tour the next year. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of the way I'm trying to end the year. And then hopefully I'll be able to play some stuff in Australia at the end of the year, support my home tour, support my home country a little bit. Um, and, uh, hopefully I can, uh, can get some good results here at the end of the year. You know, my game feels good and, and my head's in a good spot. So it's just, uh, it's just about sticking to the process and, and just going for it. I'm digging it, man. Like talk, talk when you had been like one of the realest interviews so far, just kind of, it, it, you're just straightforward with it. Like, you know, you're, you're not beating on the bush about, you know, building something that's, that's not real. You're like reality. You're saying it's just, you know, it's the hard sport. And I love how you just being real about it. So where are you at right now, social media wise, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Oh yeah. So I use, uh, I use, um, Instagram a little bit, uh, you know, it's at Bryden McPherson. It's just my name, B-R-Y-D-E-N-M-A-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. Nice and easy. The Perks are a unique name. Um, and, uh, I use Twitter a little bit to, uh, you know, kind of engage on some of the issues that I think are important to, um, the direction of golf and stuff like that. And, and, uh, to call some people out who I think are not doing good things for the game. Um, you know, people who just, you know, sit in their high chairs and criticize instead of offer solutions. Um, you know, and that's, that's BJ McPherson, you know, that's, uh, on my Twitter handle and, and, um, I use, uh, I use my blog as well for a little bit more of my in-depth kind of thoughts and things like that. But, uh, it's not something that I think, um, that I try to overdo. It's something that, you know, my goal is for people to, to maybe see something that I post on social media and, and be interested instead of inundated. So to think that, uh, oh, okay, maybe this will be something interesting or, and hopefully half the time, something they disagree with, you know, because that's, that's great. You know, you don't want to be in the echo chamber of just listening to people that agree with you. Um, you know, I always love to see how people, people think I'm wrong and people think that I can think about things better because, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're here for, you know, to improve. So, um, you know, I like to engage stuff and, and uh, keep it unpersonal as well. I like to keep it conceptual. And, uh, yeah, and so I, I would love for anyone to sort of follow me. If they're interested, keep following. And if they're not, tell me why not. Love it, man. And enjoy the rest of your tournament. Good luck with your one next week. And we'll definitely be in touch soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.